Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Discover here to explain our cash back match. Here's how it works. We give you cash back for using your Discover card on the things you were going to buy anyway. Then we match that cash back in your first year. And that's why we call it cash back match. Now to recap and say cash back one more time. We match all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a special edition of Bulls HQ. That's because I've got my friend Morton Jensen on the line and we're actually covering the Royal Wedding today. Morton, how are you doing my friend? Yes we are, thank you Mark, I'm doing well. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be really entertaining because I know literally nothing about the Royal people. So yeah, let's let's do it. Well, this is a very important day for my country. Australia is still part of the Commonwealth, technically. Um, so this is very important news for us. I'm watching the the Royal Wedding as we're podcasting right now. So this is huge news. And of course, I'm <laughs> full of shit right now. I'm talking absolute yeah. crap. We're not, we're not here to talk about the Royal Wedding. No one actually cares about that. We're here to talk about the NBA draft, which is about a month away now. It's starting to get a little bit closer, about four weeks or so. And... I wanted to get you on to talk about the Bulls picks, particularly the pick number 22. So the the last Mm. podcast, which I did, was probably about three weeks ago. That was before the Bulls fell down from six to seven, but I had Stefan Noe and Will Gottlieb on to talk about who they, or who the Bulls could potentially sort of land at pick six slash seven. But I wanted to do a separate show for pick 22 because in my opinion, there's about maybe 15 to 20 guys who I think you could easily justify with pick 22. And given that my board, at least for that range, is that large, it sort of makes sense to get someone else's opinion on what you think of these prospects, what you think they could be, and who actually makes sense for the Bulls. So um, just very high level to to to, to start this thing out. How, how many guys do you think, or how, how are you approaching this if you were a team like the Bulls with pick 22? You're sort of sitting that 
at, I guess you're not in the middle of the ro- at the lottery, but uh, or sorry, the middle of the first round. You're not necessarily at the back of the first round either. But you're sort of sitting just outside the the lottery, and a lot of things could happen either way. So, how do you think a team like the Bulls should be approaching their draft here with pick twenty two? How many guys should they be looking at? Well, I've attacked it from an angle that the Bulls likely won't share because mm-hmm. I have looked at it as guys under twenty. I've okay. looked at youth and I've looked at athleticism because I think 22 is a place where you just can allow yourself to swing for the fences and go for someone with a high upside. Um, so I made a list of names and I started this list before the draft combine started. So some of these guys aren't really as athletic as I thought, in particular, Jonte Porter, who's on my list. Uh, but that could be a blessing in disguise because he could slip. And that could mean that you could get someone there at 22 who could be interesting. But there there are a couple guys um, who I think can, can fits the bill. Like Anthony Simmons, who's really young. He's not even 19 yet. You have Troy Brown, also not yet 19 yet, from Oregon. Um, Kevin Knox from Kentucky, also not even 19. You know, there are a lot of guys uh, there who could theoretically become more than what you think they are right now which i think is is really the key for 22 just look at potential look at where they are in three years instead of what they can contribute next season yeah i mean that's that's fair that's certainly fair and and it's good that you've gone that route because to me at the moment the way i'm sort of leaning with pick 22 is almost whilst i certainly understand taking a punt on a younger guy that maybe has a little bit more upside theoretically the way I'm almost thinking at the moment for the Bulls with pick 22 is they need some surefire talent and to the point where I'm, I'd be more and more, more inclined to find their next Taj Gibson, if that makes sense, where they can just find someone who's going to maybe not necessarily provide an immediate impact, but the minute he steps on the floor, you can tell that this guy will belong in the NBA to the point where he's going to be a valuable rotational piece at some point, whether that's as a bench piece, maybe a low-level starter, or hopefully even a you know a really nice starter, you know a second or third option, something like that, if you get really lucky. But I've almost approached it in the sense that I'm open to anything at pick 22, even guys that are maybe 21, 22 years of age, who if they can you know guard multiple positions, if they've got some abilities to shoot, I'm I'm sort of even prepared to overlook age at pick 22 where I'm not necessarily. F- thinking that way for pick seven. So it's good that you have a differing opinion on what the Bulls should do at pick 22 to me. So that what that means is, I guess, we're going to be, talk, be talking about more guys than, say, someone under, under the age of 20, as an example. We, we should really open this thing up. And um, yeah, we, we should just hit it and, and just run through some guys that may sort of fit there. But in terms of positional need uh, are you approaching this from a win wing perspective have you thought about maybe just you know whoever's the best available talent with at 22 what, what are you thinking with with at pick 22 do you think the ball should be focusing on best available or someone that maybe fits a little bit better oh i don't care about fit here i mean the guys that i've brought up on my list are mostly uh, wings, but that's just out of pure coincidence yeah. uh, i mean if if there had been a center involved with with major upside he would have been on the list too i don't think you consider position at that draft slot at 22 you just go best available talent with the highest upside really it's i'm looking at this from a very simplistic point of view 
honestly. I mean, whether it's a point guard or, you know, a power forward, doesn't matter. Just get someone in there who down the line can be a major asset, even for the Bulls themselves, or as a trade uh, asset if some guy eventually becomes available that the Bulls are just keen on. Uh, and Anthony Davis, maybe. So the more assets you have, the better to make some sort of trade proposal two or three years down the road. Yeah, I mean that's fair too. That that's that's certainly fair. But um, alright. So where do you want to start this thing? Because like like we we mentioned this offline, but I've got a list of about twenty guys here that I'm not right. necessarily <laughs> going to go through every one of those guys. But they're the guys that I'm looking at at twenty two. But um, I'm almost unsure as to what where to start. So I'm happy to throw it over to you. And maybe if you want to throw me a name yeah. or two, um, that right, would be yeah, good. Sure. But the, I, I guess what I would say about both of our lists is. We've included guys who, I guess at this point, if you look at them um, at mock, dra- mock drafts in particular, some of these names that you may hear or the, some of the names that we discuss, right. some of these guys are projected to sort of go 14, 15, 16, maybe even 17, yeah. 18, somewhere in that range. And the reason why we've got them listed on our board is I think a pick 22 or you know in that vicinity, there's going to be a lot of movement, particularly once individual workouts starts and teams start to learn a little bit more about these guys. Obviously, we had the combine a day or two ago, which you mentioned, and I think just the combine itself has sort of shot a few names up the board as well. So Kevin Knox is a guy. Maybe we can start with Kevin Knox. He's a guy that's let's, sort let's of projected. He, yeah. he's, he's roughly projected at the moment to be anywhere from, say, pick 11 to maybe pick 15, 16. But depending on how workouts go, Maybe he slides to you know that twenty range, so that's why we've got mm-hmm. him on our, on our list. He's probably not going to be available to the Bulls, but if for whatever reason he does slide, then that obviously is going to impact things. So let's start with a guy like Kevin Knox. What what do you think about him and and his potential fit with the Chicago Bulls? I, I think he was kind of underutilized a little bit in Kentucky, or rather, his shooting ability was not really used to the best way it could be because they Kentucky was very interior oriented this year. They didn't have a lot. They didn't have a Malik Monk, for example, who could just stretch the court. And um, Knox came in with this uh, reputation of being a shooter. And then he shot 40, 34% from downtown and people were like, Oh, that's disappointing. And yeah, but he was, that was because he was used as the floor spacer, which isn't optimal for him. Like he had to be a part of everything. And and not be like the guy who spreads the court. So I feel his season in Kentucky was disappointing. And he himself has greater potential than what he showed. What is concerning about Kevin Knox was the lack of athleticism he displayed over the full course of that season. Because coming in, he was expected to be a pretty good athlete at the three and the four. And that didn't really materialize. But then again, if he's sticking around the three-point line a lot... Like, it wasn't because you saw the athleticism on display uh, on several occasions because, you know, he was camped outside the three-point line. So I think there is something there that you have to explore. Maybe it's true that he's not really capable uh, of doing great athletic things. But if it, in turn, he is a better shooter, then there's some upside there. He can play the three, he can play the four, and... We'll see what happens in the in the draft. I could, like you said, I could totally see him being drafted like in the late lottery or just outside the lottery. Like he might be gone by twenty two, but there is a world where he would slip because teams are just not entirely sure of what he is. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly agree. And he, he doesn't have like a, a tremendous wingspan, even though, well, I mean, it's seven foot, but I mean, the guy himself is mm. six foot nine. So he's not like, uh, I guess he doesn't have plus five, plus six inches on his height uh, from right. his wingspan, uh, wingspan rather. He's definitely a guy who's capable of being a very good scorer from a lot of positions on the floor in the NBA. He can potentially be a good shooter. He put up a lot of threes, only shot 34%, but got up, got up a lot of threes. So, right. The fact that he can create the three, I think, is important, not necessarily just the percentage itself. So the fact that he got up a lot of sh- uh, three-point shooting, uh, three-point shots, rather, sort of means this guy is going to be a pretty good scorer from either the three or four position. I'm unconvinced as to what position he's better suited for. Like, he's almost like a De- Tobias Harris sort of player yeah. to me in that conundrum where you're going to be questioning for the first maybe three, four years of his career, is he a better three? Is he more suited for a four? What are the pros and cons of moving him either way? So I'm not sure on Knox, but I, I'm pretty convinced that he probably won't be there available at 22. But you fought over a reason right. he did fall to 22, similar to what I guess Bobby Portis did to the Bulls a few years back. He probably wasn't meant to be there at 22 from memory. Maybe Knox is a guy no, right. if he's available at 22, as a small forward, power forward combo, particularly if you miss out on a guy like Porter Jr., Maybe you take a swing on a guy like Kevin Knox if he does mm. fall to uh to twenty two. But yeah, I'm not too enamored with Knox. But I, if he's there at twenty two, you definitely got to take him. Yeah, uh, it's 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 all about where a guy lands, right? Like yeah, you we all have our preferences. Yeah, and like if a guy doesn't blow one out of, you know out of the water, that's fine because if he's available ten picks later, then you go oh oh that's great like he's there so. It's all about draft slots, really. And if he's there at 22, he's a big, big get. And and to your point about Portis, that is absolutely right. Your your memory is is accurate. He was projected by most to go somewhere between, I think, all, all the way up to 12 and down to like 15 or 16. So he dropped all at least six draft slots. And that's significant because then you get a guy at 22 who is a difference maker right now. Yeah, definitely. And he fell because he wasn't, a, I guess, a great athlete and knocks himself. Right. Like, he's not a bad athlete, I wouldn't say, but he's, he's probably not. He's not someone you write home about necessarily, unlike the next guy I want to Agreed. talk about who yeah. um, definitely is on your board. I think he, he's after the combine, at least, his name is getting a lot more play at the moment. I'm talking about... Oh, he's gone. <laughs> do you already know who I'm talking about? Sayur Smith. That's exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I wanted oh, to talk about him. I've watched some film about him. Obviously, as he was, as the combine was sort of happening over the last two days, and the fact that he was just dominating in the physical based um, mm. testing from a vertical leap perspective, the agility testing, these sorts of things. This dude is an uber athlete. I'm not too yeah. sure how good he is as a basketball player <laughs> himself, particularly offensively, but from an athletic standpoint and even a defensive standpoint, this dude can play. What, what, what are your thoughts about Smith, though, generally? Do you think he, there's a chance that he lasts for, at 22? I think that may have been possible no. a few weeks ago, but I think yeah. as we move closer to the draft, he might slide into maybe even the late lottery. I just had him on the list because crazy things happen, yeah. um, honestly. And and there is no way. There is absolutely no way Sayur Smith is there at 22. He's just too good. He is one of those guys who is a defensive-oriented athlete who down the line could develop a very stellar 
uh, offensive game. Like he he had a true shooting percentage of sixty one in college, mostly because he attacked the rim and 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 took shots close by. He shot forty five from three, but that was just on one point one attempts per game. Mm-hmm. The fact is, he's got a, almost a forty two inch vertical, and he he can put like make putback jams and. It is is block shots, get steals, like plays the passing lane, and just is. He's an. Well, if you look at his comparison, like imagine a taller Avery Bradley with more athletic ability. Like that's his potential. And if you have a six four version of of prime Avery Bradley with more athleticism, you've got a guy who's like a near all star player. At least if you assume that's the route he's going to take in four years time. Yeah, I mean that, that's certainly his potential, and, and as to, as you sort of alluded to, he he he's definitely not someone at the moment that has a, a reliable shot. Uh, you, right. you sort of mentioned there that he only put up one point one threes per game, which is very important to note because you you can easily look at the three point percentage and be convinced that he's actually good. Forty five percent is a good number, but on one point one attempts per game, uh, it's just not part of his arsenal at the moment, and it's something that he's right. definitely going to have to work out, even if it's just the corner threes, maybe. He's going to need to establish himself as a 35 to 40% corner three shooter at a minimum at some point. But to your point, he's an athletic freak. Defensively, he should definitely be a contributor. Six foot five, uh, six foot ten wingspan. So the guy is an athlete. He's already built to play in the NBA. I think, mm-hmm. you know, he'll be 19 once the NBA starts. But from an athletic point of view, from a physical point of view, he's ready to go straight away. It's just whether he can. Um, I guess we'll see how how much of an impact player he can be in his first few year, first few years in, in the half court setting. I think that'll be an interesting perspective. But in transition, I think he's going to be a freak for sure. Mm. And just so we don't get people's hopes up, not available. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, probably not. Probably not anymore. I think he. I think there may have been a chance for him to be there. May like I said a few weeks ago, particularly if his shot doesn't necessarily come along. Obviously, we've talked about his athleticism and his defensive pot- potential, but if for whatever reason in workouts he shows even a little modicum of shooting ability, then straight away he's gone. So yeah. at the moment, we'll say he's not going to be there. But again, someone to consider because you never know as to what's going to happen come draft time. Um, but talk to me about Troy Brown. Uh, I'm interested yeah. about Troy Brown. He's not someone I have watched a ton of. Again, another big guy, six foot seven, a six foot ten wingspan. Um, not necessarily a great three point shooter, but I think someone who has potential as a shooter um, yeah. to a degree. But he can do a little bit of everything, so that's what's intriguing to me. And as a guy who's not nineteen yet, um, I'm interested. I get the interest. Here's the thing: he is actually very similar to Sayer Smith in terms of being an athlete and an, and a defender first, and everything else is a secondary. Uh, what there is something fun about Troy Brown and his shooting. So I was watching him play a lot, and I thought that stroke he had, it seemed awfully familiar. And I realized he has a stroke that is extremely similar to that of Paul George. Now, obviously, that does not mean anything. That was just like kind of interesting that they have almost the exact same release. So, you know, he's shooting 29% from downtown on three attempts, but the mechanics are just fine. They're absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with the mechanics suggesting that down the line, when he comes to the NBA, he will improve as a shooter. And if he's got the defense down already, 
then he could become a rotational player. The thing about him is he's not a high-volume scorer. He averaged only 13 points per 36 in college. Like he averaged 11 points in 31 minutes. And yeah, he, he is primarily an athlete and a defender with the potential of down the line becoming a three-point shooter. So I guess what I'm interested in here with him is the age, it's the athleticism, it's the fact that he could become a 3-and-D type of guy. And if not a 3-and-D, you know, a three and D guy, then a D guy with athletic ability. He's also a great rebounder, six six boards per game. Um, so he will be multifaceted in some capacity. His three assists per game as well. He's like a decent playmaker. He's not, you know, LeBron out there, but he can make plays. So he's not stuck in the corner like a Trevor Reza kind of type. Like when he gets the ball, he can make something happen for for others. Um might be, you know, there might be a current Andre Iguodala uh, comparison in there somewhere. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I was gonna, I was gonna throw out another comparison, maybe a more functional or usable Evan Turner, who I, I guess yeah, in a sense fair. is Andre Iguodala. I can sort of see that um, comparison too. And Troy Brown is someone I'm interested in, and I'm interested in, I guess, his profile in terms of or the the outcome of where he may fall because. Similar to Smith, I think the confidence in his jump shot will ultimately depend on where he sort of falls in the draft. Again, he's one of those guys that could sort of fall in the back end of the lottery or maybe Mm. he slides down to 19, 20, somewhere in that range, depending on how, I guess, how how teams view his his jump shot and how, I guess, fixable or or, uh, approachable it is in terms of development. But, um, I just like I just like the way he plays from what I've seen. He like we sort of mentioned, he, he does a little bit of everything. He's a good, smart player that you could sort of, uh, sort of plug in there, and he just knows how to play basketball, I guess. And, and to that sense, yeah. I guess to me, even though Evan Turner is is a guy that's got a bit of stigma because he can't shoot, he can't do much on offense from I guess his individual scoring. He's a guy that can still be somewhat effective out there despite his limitations from a jump spot, jump shooting perspective, and. I sort of get that with Troy Brown a little bit as well. But um, mm. again, a name to consider, but probably won't be available at 22. But if for whatever reason, should he slide, he's um, someone to consider. So there are a few guys that I wanted to talk about up front because they're guys that probably won't be there for the Bulls at 22. But again, it was worth mm. mentioning them. Let's talk about some other guys who... Maybe not necessarily young. So the guys we just talked about are all 18, 19, year, 19 years of age. Right. They're fairly young freshmen that um, will need a bit of time, but at the same time, you can sort of see the potential in those guys. But I want to talk about some maybe some of these older guys who I'm probably more interested in than yourself. I want to start with the guy, Jacob Evans. He's probably the one I'm maybe most interested in at the moment. So a small forward from Cincinnati. He was a junior will be 21 once the NBA season sort of rolls around but he's he's 6 foot 5 has a 6 foot 9 wingspan but he's built and physically ready for the NBA at 200 pounds. so I think he could sort of sort of come in and into a rotation and be pretty effective straight away can definitely shoot from 3 37% on 4.4 and a half attempts per game what do you think about a guy like Jacob Evans to to me is definitely going to be in that 22 range I think he can sort of I think he'll be around sort of 20 to 24 based on what I've sort of projecting him at the moment. What are your thoughts on a guy like Jacob Evans? Well, he's kind of a do-it-all player. 
I mean, the, the, he doesn't have any significant weakness, I feel, given the size. Like, a lot of these things will, will convert. Shot 37 from downtown. He can rebound. He can play, you know, play make. He can initiate the offense. He, I, I think he's a little bit of a, of a too low volume, a volume of score for a guy of his capabilities. Uh, I would like to see him increase that volume a little bit. Uh, it seems like he plays a little bit tentatively. But that could come around. We've seen college players do that before, and then they hit the league. They take a year, maybe two, and then they realize, oh, you know what? I'm actually pretty good. I can shoot more, and it's, I'm, you know, I, and it can be successful. So he could be one of those guys. Um, he he would be a fine pick. Like I'm pretty sure that your entire list consists of players who are significantly better than the vast majority on my list uh, of you know of of pressing time here of uh, currently, and. Jacob Evans is one of them. Like he is a, a guy who will, I assume, immediately get minutes. Whoever picked him, um, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, I him going to the G League or sitting at the end of the bench seems like he, that would be weird to me if he's not like getting rotational minutes. Yeah, definitely. And to me, he's almost a, a good pick for a team that's ready to contend straight away because he could come in as maybe your third or fourth guard. And I, I guess he could be in a top sort of 10 in your rotation. And for a team that's sort of on the on the, on the the cusp of making the playoffs or maybe he's in that seven, six, seven, eight range or something like that, he would be a nice pickup for that sort of team to sort of slide into that rotation. And, and with pick 22, those are the sort of teams that are typically there. Uh, just so happens to be... The Bulls have that pick, and coincidentally, he would actually fit really well on a team like the New Orleans Pelicans. But I guess I'm sort of leaning towards, naturally leaning towards players who can come in, play some defense, and shoot the three. And to the point where I've almost ignored age, and I don't know, maybe that says something about me and the type of players that I'm looking for. But in doing some research into this draft for 22, I've often found myself looking at guys who are pretty much just shooters. They can't necessarily mm. do much off the bounce. They're not really good at, I guess, creating separation off the bounce and in pick and roll. They're mostly catch and shoot guys who can play an aggressive brand of defense, um, be it individual right. or team defense. And when I've sort of made that list and when I've sort of had that criteria as the guys I've been looking at, to me, Jacob Evans is more someone that grades out pretty high on that list. So mm. I kind of like him, but he is limited. Maybe, you know, a best case for this guy is, is someone like Wesley Matthews or I don't think he'll ever be that, that volume of sh- shooter that Wesley Matthews is. Maybe more so, right. I don't know, Jay Crowder or something like that. But to me, that's a good player at 22. And I'm almost looking at players that can do that. And I, I know it's a little bit different to what we spoke about before in terms of theoretically what you're chasing. But um, I, I'm really enamored at the moment with a guy like Jacob Evans. But you know, I might could be that. twisted to, to anyone at the moment, to be honest with you. I, I get that. I'm I'm not entirely on board with the West Matthews uh, idea because I think Evans is probably more defensive inclined than he is offensively inclined. Mm-hmm. So if you if you look at at West Matthews, you look maybe at the body, and you look at how he could have been as a stronger defender. Like Matthews, when he came into the league, was a strong defender, and then yeah. now. He's essentially just a plus scorer, and that's it. <laughs> so Evans is is more inclined. I think his the base of his game is more grounded on the defensive end, which, to your point, I mean, 
you've always been interesting these guys you, you are still the biggest kirk heinrich homer i've ever met <laughs> and you know kirk was a guy who brought the defensive intensity and three-point shooting and you know he would clean up in today's nba like a young kirk would um so I get why you're looking for that. You're looking for the Kirk Heinrich replacement, so to someone you can devote your heart to. <laughs> wow, I mean, I mean, I, I I do enjoy those sort of players, and we'll we'll touch on a, on a few other ones, a few other types of those players that sort of marry up with those skill sets. But I, I mentioned Wes Matthews, and I'm getting Wes Matthew vibes to some degree for this next guy that I want to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. um, I'm referring to um, Josh Okoji, Okoji rather. I see Wes Matthews in his jump shot. Okogi shot 38% from three. He's not necessarily the same. Um, in ter- he doesn't have this offensive ability that Wesley Matthews does have, but he just his shooting motion is very similar. And you mentioned Wes Matthews when he came into this league as a bit of a, a bulldog, a t- tenacious defender. Mm. I kind of get this vibe from Okogi as well. This guy... Ricky O'Donnell made this this comment on Twitter the other day that he's a more, I guess, offensively minded David Waber, I guess. And I sort of see that. Oh, that's interesting. I, so, yeah. I really do see that to the point where I'm really liking Okoye. And he's a guy that has a, an established jump shot. He's not necessarily too old. Whilst I was sort of looking at guys in the 21 to 22 range, Okoye mm. isn't necessarily 20 yet. He probably will be once the NBA season starts, but he's a sophomore guard from Georgia Tech, six foot four, but importantly has a seven foot wingspan. The dude can play defense. Right. He's active. He's constantly chasing the ball. He's a tenacious sort of player, and importantly, he's, he's showing signs of being a pretty good shooter already. What do you make of this dude? Because I'm at the moment, he's kind of leaning toward. I'm leaning towards him. He's, he's becoming a favorite of mine straight away. Well, he's a three level scorer. He can shoot from deep, and he can get to the line where he can convert, and he can finish from two-point range. It's it's an interesting combination. I think he's a ready-made scorer. The defense, I gotta admit, I, I did not key in a lot on Okogi's defense when I watched him, and I haven't watched a ton of him, I should say. So I'm going to refer to you on the defensive part, which is interesting, because if he is a legitimate two-way shooting guard, that is that is definitely going to be a difference maker, especially because, like I mentioned, that he can score on three levels. And in that case, then I don't understand why he slotted in the second round, honestly. Yeah, I don't think he's going to go in the second round, to be honest with you. I know some mocks have him in that range, but to be honest with you, yeah. I think he's going to go in the first round. And I, I, I don't know, how, I don't see how anyone could potentially have him in the second round. Like, I, I guess he doesn't do a ton in terms of he's not a great passer. He's not someone that's necessarily going to create a heap of offense for himself or for others out of pick and roll. So in that sense, he's somewhat limited. He He's mm. definitely a guy that's, I guess, his foundation as a player is built on intensity, hustle, and energy. So in that sense, I get the David Nwaba comparison to the point where this guy is going to beat you on the court just simply because he wants it more. But yeah. he is an established shooter, so he's got some good shooting percent uh, potential in the NBA. I think, you know, given that his shooting percentage and his volume were both there in college, so I'm kind of into him. And I, I, like you, like you mentioned, there, I've seen some mocks where they have him sort of going early to mid second round. But based on the combine numbers, which came out the other day, this guy, I'm pretty sure, along with Dante Divincenzo, 
um, whose last name I just stuffed up, uh, he, he, he led... He led the combine in terms of max vertical leap. This dude's got a 42-inch um, vertical. So, I don't know. Um, he's a super athlete, an uber athlete. He's definitely intense. He's athletic. He if And if you can play like David Nwaba, and Nwaba was probably my favorite ball um, this season, mm. it's probably not surprising to myself, at least, as to why I'm really leaning in on, um, on a Kogi here. But um, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. But I would be very, very excited if the Bulls were to walk away with him at 22. But we'll see where he goes. He's Again, he's in one of those sort of fly, flyer-type guys where... Like Zaya Smith, where he's this super athletic dude, and it'll all come down to whether teams think he's, he's got enough in his shot, whether he can do a little bit more um, outside of just shooting, how versatile his game is, etc. But um, I'm really into him. Um, so I, you know, I'll, I've been doing this with pick seven, but I'll, I'm probably going to do it with pick twenty-two. But depending on the day, I'll probably I'll probably end up liking someone someone else as the days go along and as I keep watching film. But at the oh, moment, I've been there. Yeah, at the moment I'm on I'm all in on a Kogi, but um another guy that I've been in on as well is Shake Milton. Now this mm. dude has got the coolest name in the draft, I think. Maybe apart from Tyus yeah. Battle, but <laughs> Shake Milton is a bad a badass name and I'm totally into it. But he's a shooting guard from SMU. He's a little mm. bit older, twenty one and a half years of of age. He will be twenty two when the season rolls around, so he's definitely on the older side. But he's a six foot five guy with a seven foot one wingspan, and he can definitely shoot the three. He's probably best served as, I guess, uh, a secondary ball handler, probably a combo guard, maybe more of a point guard. Not a great athlete, but certainly not a bad one. I'm into Shake Milton, but I'm sort of. I wonder if he's a little bit of a reach at twenty two. I mean, do you really care about the reach at twenty two? If he's good, kind of do. I mean, I. I kind of do, but I can be convinced otherwise. Okay. I mean, it really depends on the type of player. I mean, Shake Milton, I get it. He he is fantastic, and he's also a three-level scorer. Like, he got to the line as well five times a game, shot 43 from three, and and, and finished around the rim. And he to boot, like four, five rebounds almost and four and a half assists, 18 points overall. Like, he's just productive. It seems like when he's on the court, things just happen. And he initiates it, and he is the guy who will basically take up the vast majority of possessions. And that's not necessarily a good thing usually, but for him it is. So I get why you have the interest here. Again, I just stayed off of him because I want guys with higher potential. But Milton can come in and be a ready-made rotation player again right off the bat. Um, he just seems to be that guy. It's, it's. Am I crazy if I make the comparison of Rodney Stuckey with a three pointer? Uh, interesting, interesting. Um, I, I probably wouldn't have gone there, but I, I have to think a little bit more about that. But he, I, I can sort of see that comparison in the sense that he's a multi positional guy. He's not necessarily just a point guard. He's a shooting guard. Maybe you can even throw him right. in at a small forward too, given that he has a a seven foot wingspan. Um, mm. I could sort of see it, but. Where I'm sort of drawing a comparison for a guy like Shake Milton is maybe a better shooting uh, D-line, right? Uh, that's kind of where oh. I'm feeling about him. I'm not necessarily convinced he's an NBA point guard, but that's not to, to say he definitely couldn't run you know, certain o- offensive actions for you. Right. And, and as a secondary creator, I could, I could definitely see that. And 
he may not be the best shooter in this draft from from three at least, but to me he's got the best looking shot for whatever reason. It's it's very compact and just very natural and it's very quick mm. and I, to me he looks like he's going to come into his rookie season and immediately be a, a pretty good shooter. So I, I'm really into Shake Milton. He can't do a lot outside of you know you, you can't expect this guy to necessarily take the ball off the bounce and again right. beat guys off the dribble. He didn't necessarily wow. Wow, the combine. I'm pretty sure his vertical was around the 35-inch um, range. It might have been even a little bit lower at 33. I've got the numbers in front of me. I've got to find that. But uh, yeah, Shake Milton, 33-inch vertical. So not an uber athlete, but he's a guy that's creative and smart, and I'm still into him. But um, again, I'm not necessarily convinced if he should be the Bulls' option. But again, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mad if he was the pick for for the Bulls at 22. I, I like Shake Milton. Oh, he's he's a good player, and you know, just to repeat myself, the guys that you're gonna bring up are definitely you know superior players to the list that I made. It's just because we we came at it from different angles. Yeah. Uh, right now, in terms of ready-made players, your guys will be because I I have your list in front of me as well, and most of these guys will come into the NBA next year, and if not rotation players this year or the coming year, then the year after for yeah. sure. Yeah. Have you watched much D'Anthony Melton? Uh, no, not a lot. Uh, but he, he he was caught up in the whole NCAA yeah. uh, FBI thing. Didn't play this year. Uh, he's supposedly you knows a lot of the draft experts absolutely love him. What I saw from him was that he was very disruptive defensively, yeah. uh, very athletic, and supposedly during his time away from playing, he's just been you know, refining his body and, and <laughs> working on his jump shot, which which is quite scary because if he comes back and he's, uh, his body is more in tune and he's got a better jump shot, I mean, watch out. He could become something. Yeah, definitely. And Morton, you know me pretty well at this point and you know I'm a yes. very inde- indecisive person. Oh, yeah. Um, so much so that before I was raving about uh, Josh Okogie, uh, mm. I was just talking about Shake Milton before, how I like him, Jacob Evans, right. I really like him. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm so indecisive that I'm almost going to talk myself into DeAnthony Melton here at 22. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> um, like you mentioned, we haven't seen a lot of him at this point. He didn't necessarily play this season because of um, the, the issues that you spoke about. But I don't know, you watch tape of this guy. And again, he's one of those... David Nwaba types where he's doing so much without necessarily doing anything with the ball in his hands. He's just Mm -hmm. disruptive. He's grabbing rebounds over plays. He's chasing offensive boards. He's getting in lanes, making steals. This good dude can do a lot. He's not a shooter at the moment, I guess, from at least what we've seen. He may have developed that over, I guess, his time away from the game. But again, I'm sort of talking myself into a guy who, like DeAnthony Melton, who's he's a six foot three guard with a six foot eight wingspan. To me, he's almost like a supercharged Avery Bradley, uh, which is a, maybe a little bit stupid to say, given Avery Bradley is a really good NBA player. But um, that that's who I sort of see in a guy like DeAnthony Melton, and I, I I'm really into him as well at the moment. And again. Whilst he's not necessarily a shooter, and I know shooting is the, the, all the rage at the moment that I, I guess, well, not just even teams, but fans are sort of chasing as well for their picks. But I'm at the point now where 
I'm not convinced that every single player on the roster needs to be a shooter. As long as you can do multiple things and provide value in that sense. We talked about Troy Brown before being a guy who's not necessarily a great shooter, but does a lot of things well. I'm getting those sort of vibes as well from DeAnthony Melton. So again, have I talked you into him at all? Or or am I just rambling here about guys um, that um, I'm trying to convince myself of? No, he's interesting. He's definitely interesting. I get your your yeah, <laughs> your curiosity about him for sure. The thing is, we did we don't know. I mean, we've read reports, we've heard what he's done in in the year off. Yeah, but we haven't really seen it to the same capacity. Like we don't know, so that becomes an, a, a big question mark. So I think we'll know a lot more when reports start coming out from his individual workouts. Mm-hmm. Like if he's just wowing people left and right, then we know, okay, <laughs> that year off, he spent that efficiently. Um, but I mean, that we can't know. That's for the GMs around the league to decide and the scouts and whatever, because he's he's been a year away. But I get your interest. A, an athletic um, combo guard who is dis- a disruptive defender, I mean, that has your name written all over it. Yeah, he's definitely my kind of player. On I mentioned Avery Bradley, but he also gives me those Marcus Smart vibes as well, which is he's a guy that doesn't make sense in the sense that he's not a great shooter, not a great scorer, but still right. finds a way to be a plus player somehow just because of his activity yeah. alone. And I, I just get that vibe from a guy like DeAnthony Melton. So again, maybe I'm just getting too enamored here on on his uh on his highlights and seeing a guy just running around and no, doing no, all these no. crazy he, things but he plays with heart yeah i mean that's also you can you can sense when he's on the court at least from what i saw i mean he is just he he's going for it like he has that, that last game mentality if i was never to play basketball again i want to go out on a high note yeah. and every game he plays is sort of like hey you know what <laughs> i might not play basketball tomorrow so i'm going to give it everything i got He's and and I think playing hard has become a skill, honestly. Yes, yeah, and that's a skill he has, for sure. I don't think that goes away. So, you know, you if you if you're looking for effort, I think he's a guy that you definitely look at because he could be one of those people who sets the tone for a franchise. I would probably advise the Minnesota Timberwolves currently to look at him because they need players who actually wants to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, him and Jimmy Butler on the wings would uh, they would wreak some wreak some havoc there defensively. But I don't know. He's almost like a prototypical Bulls pick from the early Paxson days, in the sense that he's yeah. a little bit older. He's not necessarily a great offensive player, but he's going to have a high floor because of all the other things that he does well. So I don't know what kind of Paxson or kind of drafter Paxson is these days, because I guess those lines are a bit are a bit blurred with Gar Foreman being around, sort of. Maybe, I don't necessarily know if he was the one calling all the shots from 2009 onwards, but Pax looks to be back at the helm. And like I said, Melton was, I guess, traditionally a guy you would mm. you, you could almost lock in as a typical Paxson pick. But um, Are you we, we, telling we'll me you didn't love the Doc McDermott trade? <laughs> oh. uh, no, no. <laughs> Anyways, moving on from that. Um, yep. The other guy, another guy I wanted to talk about, and then I'll kick it back over to you to to maybe raise sure. some other guys. Maybe you can school me on some guys I'm necessarily, I guess, fully invested in at the moment. But this next guy that I want to talk about, um, the main thing that concerns me is his age. 
And I mm-hmm. feel like I'm being a little bit of an ageist here. I'm talking about Kita Bates Diop, small forward yeah. out of Ohio State, 22.3 years of age at the moment. He'll be 23 right. at some point next season. Right. For me, it's almost a contradiction because I'm one of the first to give the Bulls shit when they take a senior, when they take a 22-year-old guy. They've done that with Denzel Valentine. They were in love with a guy like Chris Dunn, who was definitely a mature age rookie. You mentioned Doug Doug McDermott there before, which was apt given um, he was a a mature age rookie as well. Mm -hmm. We've, We've talked about Taj Gibson, even Jimmy Butler. The Bulls have always... Not always, but they've definitely been inclined to take guys that are 21 and 22 years of age. And Bates Diop is 22 years of age. So to me, it's almost a contradiction because I'm always on the bulls for taking seniors or older guys. But here I am sitting here wondering if at small forward, this guy who is six foot eight and has a seven foot three wingspan can definitely play multiple positions on the wing. I'm almost mm-hmm. talking myself out of him based on his age and all the shit that I've given the Bulls because of that. But if I'm just sort of removing myself from that and thinking about it logically, he's definitely someone that the Bulls should be considering at pick 22, given what he can do mm-hmm. from a defensive standpoint and the fact that his three-point um, shooting definitely improved in his in his senior year there at, at Ohio State. So what are you thinking about... Based Diop, and, and am I being stupid here in terms of how I'm um, interpreting whether he should be available at 22 for the Bulls? No, no. I mean, look, he is probably the best guy you have on, on your list in terms of, of guys there currently. Um, he's, he's a Big he's Ten a player of the year as well, so the dude can play. Yeah. He really improved. Oh, yeah. In, in his look, he's, he's a 29 player this year, and to be honest, I think he's better suited as the, as a four. Okay. Yeah. Um, because of the wingspan and the athleticism, I think he's just he, he makes sense at the four. Like a small smaller four who can then on occasion slide down to to the three if you go big. And sometimes the bulls go big, so that might be a thing. But yeah, like he's he's just rock solid from top to bottom. What concerns me is the lack of productivity he had at Ohio State in his first three seasons. Mm-hmm. So. I, I'm not always fond of players who just have like one good year in college. Yeah. Especially out of out of four years. But having said that with with the with Beige Job, you're looking at him and you go, That's that seems sustainable. Because the way that he scored, the way that he defended, the way he rebounded, the way he shot the basketball, it's it didn't seem like it didn't scream one year sensation. It it's it felt like the, what he what he did was build on a foundation of skills and understanding of the game, and I think that's different. Um, it wasn't just him hitting a hot streak because look at his field goal percentage; like he he shot forty eight percent overall. That's that's not wildly efficient. So a lot of that came down to him not necessarily being hot, but him just pr- producing at a higher level. Like he got a big roll, and then he just took it and rolled with it. So I'm hoping it's sustainable. Uh, I think it is, uh, and he and he would be a a terrific pick for anyone in the late twenties or mid twenties. Absolutely. And if the Bulls are keen on him because of his age, then that shouldn't be the focus. I think you're absolutely right that his game is is NBA ready at this point. Uh, I again, I would not go with someone that old, but that's just who I am as a person. 
Well, I get the attraction. I definitely get the attraction. And he would back up Laurie Markkinen immediately. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I can sort of see how it's hard to see what position he is because he's not he's not probably quick enough to be a full-time two. He may not even be quick enough to be a three, but I'm not sure if he, if he has the... He's definitely got the length to guard fours, but I don't know if he has mm. the the size or the will to be a power forward. So it's an interesting one. He may not actually have a great position in the NBA. And in, in some respects, I almost want to compare him to Otto Porter, but that might be a little bit flattering given obviously Porter was top three pick and has really yeah. come along as a switchable guy and definitely can shoot. But I don't know, maybe, maybe it can be a poor man's version of Otto Porter or something of that nature, but I'm probably just talking myself into him. But um yeah, you raise an interesting point. He could be a four, but I think he's probably more suited as a three. But to that point, and similar to what we, we mentioned about Kevin Knox, he might be a guy that we sort of don't know what his best position is because of his because right. of his build, I guess. He he could be he could be either position. And that might be he's a problem. He's a longer Jeff Green, I feel. Interesting. Interesting. And I I know that we all crab on Jeff Green, but we crab on Jeff Green because of the inconsistency. So that's not what I'm comparing. I'm comparing production. I'm comparing body yeah. and size. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah Keita doesn't need to be as inconsistent as Jeff Green. Let's hope not. In terms of, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I lied before because I I mentioned Bates Diop was going to be the last guy I wanted to talk about, or at least, at least the last one I wanted to bring up. But the, right. I'll, I'll hold off on Kyrie Thomas because I, I wanted to talk about him. But I, again, I've talked about too much about, you know, energy grit guys who are, who are, you know, 22, 23 years of age. The last guy I want to talk about is Chandler Hutchinson. And mm. the reason why I want to talk about this dude is he, nece- he didn't necessarily perform at the combine from memory. And, and the reason for that is a team in the sort of 20 to 30 range, maybe not maybe not up to the 30 range, but maybe let's call it 16 to 24 range, made a promise to Hutchinson, or at least that's the rumors going around that a team has right. made a promise of sorts to him that they're going to select him. Therefore, he's not necessarily putting himself out there for other teams to get a look in. Um, now, given the Bulls are at 22, they're after a wing, and as I, as I sort of alluded to before, they've always been inclined to take a senior, someone in the 22 to 22, 21 to 22 years of age, which Chandler Hutchinson happens to be. I'm wondering if the Bulls are the team that have maybe made a promise to Hutchinson, who is a six foot seven shooting guard at a Boise State with a seven foot one wingspan. So do you think there's any chance that maybe the Bulls were that team that made or have rumored to make that promise to a guy like Chan Hutchinson. Yes. Yes. I, I think they could be. Um I, I would I would actually go uh with Chandler Hutchinson as a three because of his size, but I do think he can slide down to the two. So you're not wrong. Like he's just a wing, right? Um great rebounder for a wing, by the way. But he can play make, he can shoot the ball, he can score he gets to the free throw line. He's defensively, I don't want to say he's great defensively, but he's attentive when it comes to defense. Like he's there, he's involved in the plays. And it's not like, you know, a Zach Levine situation where he just goes, oh, now I have to play defense again. Like he's engaged. I just, I'm not sure about his transition from college defense to NBA defenses. But if you're drafting a 22 and you're looking at, productivity overall 
Like this is a guy who can come in and get you boards and points in whatever capacity. And at 22, that makes sense. So I could definitely see the Bulls beating that team. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's been it's been rumored that the Blazers were maybe that team who who made that. I I, I guess um maybe not that guaranteed, but have maybe at least put a feeler out there to Hutchinson and mm. and his group that hey we're gonna take you with our pick and and a team like the Blazers who are picking at twenty four kind of makes sense for them to be interested in a guy that can come in and do what he does and I'm just wondering if it's not the Blazers, maybe it's a team like the Bulls or even the Indiana Pacers or someone like that. But thinking mm. about, or just ignoring Hutchinson for a, for a moment, you know, assuming this rumor proves to be true that a team has gar- effectively guaranteed Hutchinson a spot, what, what do you think about teams actually doing that this early into, I guess, the combine and even individual workouts? It kind of wouldn't make sense to me. Any team making a guarantee to a player this early into the process, it, kind of seems a little bit strange given that we're still a month out from the draft right look the promises are always weird i i don't think you i would ever do it if i was a gm because what if a guy slips that you really want exactly yeah i mean that's just and and the thing is the down there's just so much downside to making these promises because one thing is if you have to break your promise then that player is not just going to be mad at you. And what if he blows up to become a superstar later on? Then he's going to be pissed off. But you also annoy the agent. And he's got a vast network of guys. And he's going to keep guys away from your franchise because, oh, you can't be trusted. That's a major concern. Remember back in 2000 when the Bulls and Blazers allegedly had a deal for Jermaine O'Neal and the Blazers backed out? Mm. That was not a good look. I, I, I've yet to read a really substantial report about the Blazers, uh, the, the aftermath of, you know, teams not trusting the Blazers. But that was a that was a horrible look. Like, you had an agreement in place. The Bulls drafted Marcus Pfizer, who apparently they didn't want at the time. They drafted that, him for the Blazers, and they pulled out. So teams uh, and honesty really needs to go... That, that it, you know, that it has to go hand in hand. The teams have to be honest all the way through. And giving Hutchinson... Uh, a promise this early is then you really have to be sure that that's your guy like yeah. that's that's yeah. your primary guy and whoever slips i mean doesn't matter that's our guy and <laughs> i don't know if he has the talent to warrant that level of commitment but yeah i mean it's it's weird i just don't understand why he can't just go through the process like everyone else yeah i'd be very disappointed if the Bulls were to guarantee a guy like Chandler Hutchinson this soon. That mm. may look foolish in a few months' time. Maybe Hutchinson is that good and they've, you know, for whatever reason, uh, more than any other team have found that out quickly and sort of snapped him up. And maybe in time, maybe we we think that decision's a good one. But I don't know. The result may be good, but the process in getting there may be a little bit iffy. So, yeah, I'm not too enamored with Chandler Hutchinson, but I wanted to re- raise it because I'm, I've just been sitting here and wondering, given that he pulled out of the Combine and the Combine's in Chicago, and it which just seems like something the Bulls maybe would do. I don't know. I'm a little bit worried about that one. But um, look, I've raised a few names here of guys that I wanted to talk about. Like I mentioned before, they're typically guys in the junior to senior range. The guys that project to be Defenders, at least capable defenders that can shoot, maybe can't do a lot else, but they should be able to be capable role players. But 
I'll throw it back over to you now to maybe throw some names at me about guys who I should be considering that I haven't at the moment. So a guy I was really high on all year long, uh, John C. Porter out of Missouri, Michael yep. Porter's younger brother. Mm-hmm. He did not uh, do well at the combine. No. I, I, I have a list here. This is after day one. So this is not including for day two of measurements and all that. So I'm just going to list. I did a tweet about it. Um, he had the highest body fat percentage. He was the slowest in the three-quarter sprint. He had the fifth worst standing vertical. He tied for the lowest max vertical. He was the fifth slowest in the lane agility. And he had only a seven-foot, a quarter-inch wingspan for a 6'11 and a half frame. That's not great. All those things, that's, that's like five, six, five, six things going against him, <laughs> which is just not great. But that means he is going to slip in the draft, I think. Uh, why I was interested in him at Missouri was partly because of his age. He's a year younger than virtually everyone. Mm-hmm. And he was productive. Like, he could shoot, yeah. he could block shots, he could rebound. So he had sort of that um, unicorn makeup going from his for, for himself. Um, I will say this. Part of why I think he's so slow is also because of the high body fat percentage. That can't be fixed. If he loses weight, he could gain a couple inches on his vertical. He could get quicker when he runs. So it's not like he's a you know a lost project. He's still just 18 and a half years old, which is really really nothing. And I would I would be interested to see if how he would fare under a NBA training regimen, like coming into the Bulls and you know working on his body, taking a year where he is mostly in the G League and you know playing spot minutes here and there in the regular season. And maybe in a year, maybe two, like he'll come in, he'll he'll have slimmed down, and he'll look a lot more lean and mean, and and just be ready for a role. I think he's got some potential there. I'm just not as high on him now as I was before because those numbers didn't really blow me away. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see that, and I like Jonte Porter as well. And you know, like like you mentioned, the numbers were, were weren't favorable, um, particularly the body fat percentage, but um. It's something that can definitely be improved on. He's still young, so maybe he's carrying a little bit of that, uh, I guess, that puppy fat type sort of thing where he could stand to lose. Well, he's 13.5%, I think, he's, his body fat percentage. So he could definitely get that yeah, under 14, 10. 14 almost. 13.9, so almost well, there you 14%. Go. Yeah. So yeah. He's, he's definitely got a lot of work to do on that front. But to me, he's almost got that old man's game despite only being 18 and a half years old. He, he's a good mm-hmm. shooter. Great passer, good screener. It does a lot of those little things that you like. You would expect a guy that's been in the league for sort of eight to ten years to do. So he's almost got that in his game already. He's not a great athlete. He's not long. His wingspan's effectively the same as his height. So he's about six and eleven. So he's not going to be a guy that could ever protect the rim or do any of that sort of stuff defensively. So he's definitely not going to be a starter. I don't think in this league, but off the bench as a right. sixth man. He could be an interesting, fun big man that could do a little, a few little things. And to me, he seems, or he screams rather, future spur. They've got the 18th pick. <laughs> I wonder if Jonte yep. Porter, who's a good shooter, good passer, almost like a Kyle Anderson type pick. He's almost a Kyle Anderson version of a big man in that sense. Right. Does a lot of things similar where they're not the fastest guy. They're not necessarily uh, the most toned or muscular guy. 
but they do a lot of these fundamental things well that the Spurs typically love. So I wouldn't surprise me to see him go there at all. I, I would love him in San Antonio. I think that's a great landing spot for him. And again, when you have that, you know, that weight on you, you can change that. We we saw Julius Randle last year make a very significant transformation to his body. Remember, he was kind of fluffy, and then he his trainer just told him, you know what, you need to change. And then he <laughs> over the course of the summer, he posted all these images of him having like six pack or eight pack or whatever. Like he was just he was ripped. And we saw that come into effect in the regular season. Like he looked so much better this year than he did in every any other season before that. He he was quicker off the court. He was more explosive towards the basket. Like everything about him physically was just quicker, better, you know, faster, stronger, whatever. So I think there is some tendency for all of us to go, oh, a guy has bad measurements. That means that you know, he can't fix it. Well, no, I think losing weight is, is a huge thing. Like Tim Duncan losing um, 20 pounds later on in his career made him like five years younger because he moved a lot quicker. So uh, for, for John T. Porter, I, I agree with you. I don't think he's ever going to be an elite athlete by any means, but he could become sort of average. And if he does that, that will definitely be a better than Kyle Anderson. And that will be a tremendous asset for him. Yeah, definitely. And, and he fits on a team like the Spurs, where I, I'm not sure he fits on a team like the Bulls, where in the second unit they would run a combination of Porter and and Portis. <laughs> that, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dante Porter and, 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 um, and Portis there as well. That would be one of the most unathletic 4-5 combination going around. So I wouldn't be in oh, love with that. If the Bulls draft... If the Bulls draft Michael Porter and John Say Porter, it would Porter, Porter, and Portis. <laughs> That's hard to say. Um, yep. But um, yeah, I don't love him for the Bulls, but I think he's going to be one of those players that's going to be fun to watch irrespective mm-hmm. of what team he will be on. But he's not necessarily the guy I'm after. But um, yeah, like you mentioned, he, he, he will be fun and I, I do like him too. But um, is there any other names that you wanted to go through? We've touched on oh, I have a bunch. I have a bunch. This is going to run long. I hope that's okay. All right, zip through a few of these quickly. I'll give you maybe two, three minutes for each. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to need as much for Anthony Simmons because the only thing I've seen from him, him is, is highlights. But yeah, yeah. he is extremely athletic. His jump shot looks pretty pure. Um, he's got a 7.7% body fat and a 41.5-inch vertical, a standing reach of 8 foot 3.5". But he's not even 19 yet. He was a fifth-year high school senior, didn't play in college last year. Um, 6'9 wingspan to a 6'3 frame, which is, is sort of Chris Dunn-ish, yeah. I think. Yeah, he's, he's long. Um, he's definitely long. He He's long, and he projects as a scorer and as a playmaker, and he can play both the one and the two. I think he's very interesting to bring aboard. Uh, it seems like he has some potential left there that could be really interesting and i i know the bulls have a ton of point guards but if he's talented and he'll come in and replace what uh cameron Payne or jerry grant like who cares that's fine um then for the internationals uh shannon musa um from kk Sidavita, 
shooter, basically, uh, a small forward shooter, 6'9", doesn't have the longest wingspan, 6'9 wingspan, can really shoot the ball, high efficiency, uh, 12 points in 22 minutes, roughly. Uh, not sure if he'll come over this year. He could be a draft and stash pick. Very interesting. Uh, another international, Isaac Blanca, uh, playing in Germany right now for the Frankfurt Skyliners, or Frankfurt Skyliners, if you want. <clears throat> 18 and a half years old, 6'9", 7 foot wingspan. He, his stat line is not worth writing home about, but that's fine because he's so young. He's not really there yet. He can shoot the three some, 34%, on just one attempt at game. He's long. He's interesting. Um, could be a ball handler even at a small forward. Like he's got, he's not Giannis, but he's got the, the similar makeup. Like he's a small forward who can handle the ball a lot and make plays. Nick so Batum, maybe. Find... That's who I see. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I have without the jumper, that. maybe. Right, right. I yeah, because when I think Nick Batum, I think the jumper. But you're re- absolutely right. That's a good one. So Bonka can handle a basketball at, at a six nine uh, and playing the three and maybe even four. But that's a good one. I, I like that comparison. Thank you. And then here <laughs> is yeah, definitely pat yourself. Uh, here's one guy I think we should discuss together because. You've been exposed to this guy plenty as well. Gary Trent Jr. out of Duke. 19.3 years old. He's roughly 6'6", 204 pounds, and has a 6'9 wingspan. 14.5 points, 4 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 1.2 steals. He played almost 34 minutes. He shot 43% from downtown. And here's what I absolutely love about him, Mark. He had a turnover percentage of just 74 he rarely, if ever, turned the ball over, partly because he was a spot-up shooter, so he didn't put the ball in the deck a whole lot. But that's still very secure. And he's coming in with a standing range of eight uh, eight foot two, 7% body fat, and a 39.5 vertical. I like Gary Trent Jr., and I want to talk about him a little bit. Well, what let's talk think? about what him, because think? I'm not in love with Gary Trent Jr., and... I guess maybe I was surprised to see his numbers at the combine. He his his vertical mm-hmm. was I think thirty. What did you mention his vertical? Thirty nine, thirty nine and a half, or yeah, something like 39 that. Thirty nine and a half. Yeah. So that that surprised me somewhat. I, I didn't think it was going to be that high, and I, maybe because of the way he plays, he's typically just a, a catch and shoot or a spot up shooter, definitely reliant on his shot, and which he should be because he's an awesome shooter. I just wonder about the rest of his game, and I don't think he's a very good defender. I'm not sure if he ever will be a good defender. I don't see him as a great athlete. We talked about guys that I typically gravitate towards who are those really good athletes that are defensive-minded. That's just the players I like for whatever reason. I don't know why. But Mm -hmm. um, So just thinking about the player that I like, Gary Trent in that sense rubs me the wrong way, even though I do love him as a shooter. I don't know if I would use pick 22 for a guy like Gary Trent. He, to me, he's like a, an early to mid-second rounder, which is kind of an ironic because the Bulls' 2018 second rounder, which they don't own, the the uh, the Knicks own that pick, unfortunately. That would have been a nice selection maybe there at maybe 36 for a guy like Gary Trent. Maybe that's when you pick mm-hmm. him up. But for 22, I wouldn't love it. No, it's high. It is high. Absolutely. Um, I get it because you and I have had this debate for years, literally for years. If a guy is not a plus defender, you are... Is it fair to say that you're pretty much down on them immediately? 
I wouldn't say I'm down on them because I've, I've definitely throughout the years liked players who aren't good defenders. Um, so it's right. not a prerequisite for me to like you as a prospect. But for okay. me, just watching the game from an entertainment right. standpoint, and, and I've made this note on Twitter a few times watching this postseason, but right. I almost get a thrill out of watching those grit and grind players for whatever reason. Yeah, um, that's a good way of phrasing it. Like, I, and I get that. I totally get that. I, I, I do like players who are very capable offensively, especially from deep. Yeah. And I, I think that's where we separate ourselves just a little bit because I think the offensive potential of Gary Trent is fairly high. Yeah. I mean, he, he played next to Wendell Carter, Grayson yeah, Allen, Marvin Bagley, and he still averaged 14.5 points a game by spotting up. I think he is NBA ready, even though he's not going to be you know 20 before what let's see when was he born on in january 18 so he's not going to be uh 20 until the next 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 year um he can come in immediately and be efficient from the field and from the free throw line and i get that he's the, doesn't have a complete game i will say that his his athleticism allows him to get better in that department i don't think he's a finished product as a defender, but I also agree with you. He's never going to be a plus defender. I don't think so. Um, and that's a major concern. But if he's in a backup shooting guard role, does that matter as much, you think? Not necessarily. And I, I think whilst shooting is definitely, I understand where the league is heading. And I definitely think mm. the Bulls are a team that are in need of shooting. So from that standpoint alone, Gary Trent makes sense. He's a great shooter, maybe one of the better shooters in this draft, and the Bulls definitely need that. Mm. But I don't know. I, I think we've almost gone too far on the shooting scale where we're almost forgetting about players that can still impact the game in other ways who may That's not necessarily fair. be great shooters but can still provide value in other ways. And I, yeah. I just... For someone that's... I won't call him a one-trick pony necessarily, but I don't think he's got a lot of strings to his bow. Uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not in love with Gary Trent. You mean but... like Zach Levine? <laughs> that would be my concern. Like if if Gary Trent is playing minutes for you off the bench, and in front of him you've got uh, Zach Levine and Denzel Valentine, whilst all three can <laughs> shoot, <laughs> I yeah. worry about those go those dudes defensively, and and one of those guys needs to be a decent defender. Neither of them are. But I, I understand why you like Gary Trent, but um. The, the three names that you mentioned there, so Anthony Simons, or two names, and, and Gary Trent straight away. Uh, the other one was, was Musa as well. Instantly, I like my body cringed slightly because they're, they're those guys that are off on, offensive-minded first, not necessarily the best de- decision makers. They're scorers first, and I understand why people like them and why people f- see a role for these players, but maybe it all comes back down to that Kirk Heinrich versus Ben Gordon debate. Maybe that still sort of lingers in me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I still have been, and that's 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 where we differ, and that's fine. I mean, I oh, think the, it, the this is just an extension so of that, I guess. Yeah, no, that's fine. I I get it. I mean, look, I think it's we both want the same thing ultimately. Like yeah, we correct. would want a guy who can play both ends of the court. Obviously, like that is still our main. Uh, goal for a player that is finding someone who can participate offensively and defensively because that satisfies both our needs um right before we we wrap up mark i just want to flip the script here a little bit Mm -hmm. because i got a question on twitter last night which i thought was pretty interesting okay um 
from, let's see here, hang on, the page is loading, uh, from Aristoteles at Greek Bulls fan. Yep. Um, yeah, you know him. Yeah, I've seen him uh, on Twitter. He, yeah, yeah, good guy. Uh, so basically, he was asked, or he asked me, uh, would uh, should the Bulls trade 22 for 11th? Because the Hornets, are sh- is, uh, they're shopping that pick. And also, of course, taking on like a large deal from Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Would you do that? It depends on the deal, I feel, or you know, the contract you take back. But how would you feel about moving up 11 spots? And what is that worth? For uh, for for what kind of yeah what what is that worth for Charlotte in terms of the deal that you take back moving up to uh, eleven spots? Well, I mean the Bulls would have to give up something of. Well, I mean, what what was the what was the trade he was proposing? Was was there particulars around that? Obviously, no, he mentioned a bad contract, but anything else? Right, he just centered it eleven for twenty two with the Bulls taking on one of their bad contracts. Hmm. So that could be Cody Seller. It could be. Uh, Marvin Williams, something along those lines. So in that sense, the Hornets are basically just selling their first round pick in order to get under the cap or to reduce the and, tax. And bill. getting twenty two back, so they're yeah. just they're bumping down eleven spots, right? Hmm. It would depend on who the contract is. Right. They've got some guys in that sort of sort of ten to fourteen million dollar range, but then they've got some guys in that. 20 million dollar range which is a different story mm-hmm. so it would depend on who that guy is but I'm, I'm i'm not adverse to the um the idea of moving pick 22 and we've, right. we've just spent an hour and a bit talking about potential options for the bulls at pick 22 and we haven't really talked about the you know the fact that maybe they should trade that pick and either attach someone like portis or denzel valentine to it and maybe move up a few slots Right or like you like you mentioned there, maybe take on yeah bad deals. A, a deal a, a bad contract and go up to eleven as for example. I don't, I don't know. I, I I would maybe consider it, but it would really depend on the contract and the years, particularly if the Bulls are aiming towards the twenty nineteen free agency period and if they're looking to make a play there. So it would almost depend on the contracts, how long those contracts last, how big they are, and for me to consider that. And based on that, if 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 the reward makes sense. There is one guy who ends up in nine, in 2019, Mark. His name is Dwight Howard. Yeah. Mm. Well, he, he uh, to yeah. his credit, he played well last year. Not... He did. You know, saying, he did but... saying that he would necessarily keep playing well, but that's a $23.8 million contract that wraps up in 2019. <sighs> yeah, I'd have to think about it. I'd have to think about yeah. it. It doesn't grab me straight away. To be honest with you, I, I I feel like it would be interesting if Sayur Smith was was on the board by eleven. Then I think I'd do it. See, I'm more inclined to package twenty two and Portis and see what that can net you. So to me, oh, I'm more inclined to to Valentine than Portis though. But why Portis instead of Valentine? To me, Portis represents a redundancy. So that's fair. For the yep. last, I don't know, maybe let's call it seven to eight years. The Bulls have always front-loaded their front court uh-huh. to the point where they've had four or five guys in the front court that probably could play 20 or more minutes a game. If you mm. think back to the Derrick Rose years, even beyond that, when they brought in Pau Gasol and shifted Taj Gibson back to the bench, they had, right. yep. and obviously Miritich on the bench as well, they've, they've always had three to four guys on the bench that deserve 20 or more minutes. 
And I think Bobby Portis's best position is power forward. Obviously, Lowry Markkinen is going to be a fixture there at power forward for the next 10 years there for the Bulls. Bobby Portis will be coming into the last year of his contract, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes, he'll coming he'll forward into the next season. So after there, they'll have to extend him potentially if they don't extend him this offseason. So that to me represents a redundancy and I would almost be be preferring to to maybe move on from Portis now if he can rather than having to pay him and maybe redistributing your roster slightly to the point where maybe you can turn Portis and 22 into pick 12 as an example. I threw this out on Twitter the other night as a bit of a joke, but um, you know, the Bulls trade... Portis and 22 to the Clippers for pick 12, which to me is a very similar deal to what the Utah Jazz did last season for Donovan Mitchell. They attached pick 24, I think it was, and Trey, Ly- uh, Trey Lyles. And, um, yeah, 24 or 27, I don't remember. Yeah, and, and they pretty much gave him to the Denver Nuggets or gave that, that to the Denver Nuggets. And um, so effectively it was Trey Lyles and Tyler Lydon for pick 13, which was Donovan Mitchell. Now, I'm not suggesting whoever the Bulls take a pick 12 is going to be Donovan Mitchell, but it's a similar premise in terms of the thinking, in terms of the asset swaps. Um, So maybe Portis and 22 can get you pick 12. I don't know. Maybe maybe it could. And in that sense, maybe maybe you're in play for a guy like Zaire Smith at 12 if he does shoot up the board. Suddenly, you've got a late lottery pick and you can get him there. Maybe you can still get Michael Bridges there. I don't know. But oh I'm no, not, he's not falling past Philly though. Probably not. Probably not. But you know, I, I'm not adverse to, or I'm not against rather moving pick twenty two. Like I said, even yep. though we spent time talking about who the Bulls potentially could take at twenty two, I think it's an interesting right. idea. One should they should be exploring, but I don't know if they should be um, maybe taking on the bad contract just yet. But interesting question. Interesting question. It is, and to your credit, in terms of pick 12, I think that's the lowest you accept because after pick 12, if everything falls to four, there's a drop-off. Yeah. I think after 12, there is an entire two-tier drop-off, honestly. So you're absolutely guaranteed at 12, one of Sexton, Smith, or the two bridges. Yeah. So that has to be 12 or, or even higher, actually. And... Yeah, I I think that's a good spot to land because at 13 or 14, <clears throat> you might miss out on some serious talent. And least we forget, Bobby Portis is a very good talent and he really came into his own last season. So I think he's bringing with him some trade value. Absolutely. Definitely. He, his value is not going to be any higher maybe, but maybe after, particularly after he signs a new deal when he's earning seven, $8 million or something in that range, he, mm. his value may not be high. And a team like the Clippers who have picks 12 and 13, maybe they're willing to give up one of those picks for an established guy like Portis rather than bringing in two rookies. Mm. So it's just something to consider. I'm definitely not against moving 22, but yeah, I'm not in love with maybe moving it to to the Hornets for a really bad contract. Maybe I'll have to think on that one. I'll have to think on that yeah. one. Yeah. No, I like your idea. I mean, Portis, uh, I think it's, it also depends on the deal because he just said seven or eight million. I would pay that for Portis to stick around. That's it's the problem for me is if it becomes like thirteen or fourteen million a year, then it looks like <laughs> really redundant. Well, the thing with Portis as well that you've got to consider is what the Bulls do with pick seven. If they draft Wendell Carter, let's say pick seven, right? 
Yeah, right. you've got Carter, who's going to be your eventual center. He'll be playing mm-hmm. 30 minutes at some point. You've got yep. Larry Markkinen, who should be playing 32, 34 minutes a night next season, as early as next season. Right. Portis isn't really a center. He's more of a power forward, even though he can play spot minutes at center. So I, it comes back to that redundancy question to me. So I, I don't know. Like he, it, I would rather, if you could, move him and maybe try to you know extract a pick where you can pick up a wing, an extra wing. That would be my yeah. idea. But um, I agree with that. It depends on seven. And I'm glad you brought up Wendell Carter because you did that as, as lip service to me. And I appreciate that very much because that's the guy who I want at seven. I did that just for you. I wanted to end on a high note. Just for I'm you, glad. you called the Donovan <laughs> the, the Donovan Mitchell pick last year. You're one of I the did. lone ones that were very high on Donovan Mitchell as a superstar. Um, so you deserve props for that, and you've been very high on Wendell Carter. You're doing your best at the moment to convince me. We've gone long at the moment, so I don't want to necessarily break down his game itself, but I wanted to get it on record that you are super high on Wendell Carter. I and am. if, in fact, he does become a stud, well, this podcast yep. is proof that you were on it pretty early. So, um, I'm, pr- I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll end on that note. We'll give you some props there. Maybe some, um, well, at least props from Donovan Mitchell. We'll see about Wendell Carter. But um, you heard it here first. If Wendell Carter be- goes on to become an absolute star center or even just a really good one, Morton Jensen was definitely all over it, folks. So, um, yeah, I'll give you that props, Mort. But uh, look, I appreciate you coming on and breaking down pick 22 for or with me rather and i appreciating you putting up with my indecisiveness and the fact that i guess our personality in time in terms of players that we like was a little bit of a clash there but it was still an uh, amicable discussion as to what the bulls could maybe do at 22 no i'm i'm used to your indecisiveness mark it's fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> look that that we we when on dennis podman that this was a, a nightly thing so it's uh it's fine i mean look I'm kind of glad that you're indecisive because it's draft. You should be indecisive. If you're locked in on one guy at 22, you're not going to see anything else. And uh, I like the fact that you're open-minded. It, it proves that you could, you'll adapt to the situation. So in, what I'm really saying is you're a survivor, Mark. <laughs> I don't know about that. If there was a zombie apocalypse, I'd be the first first person to be dead. But um. <laughs> Look, I'll take that on board. Uh, like we said right from the outset, uh, the outset of this podcast, rather, you have to have a pretty open mind at this point. Your, your board at twenty-two needs to be fairly large, and like we probably mm. touched on fifteen guys at least. I know we didn't talk about every single guy on the list that we had, but we touched on a lot of them. And you need to be covering all bases from that standpoint. So right. whilst I am indecisive at the same point, you need to be thinking about a lot of guys, and it it just speaks to the difficulty in picking in this range so but again we'll see what the bulls do um it should be interesting what they do but um hopefully they find a good one but again more thanks for joining me maybe after the, the draft has been uh running one we can get back online and um talk about the draft itself and how the bulls handled it let's do that and mark congratulations on the engagement that's great <laughs> um well, uh, i i hope you didn't cry when she proposed <laughs> no no i proposed i proposed <laughs> But uh, yeah, thank you, my friend. I haven't made that note uh, official on Bulls HQ, but that that is true. That happened, I suppose. Um, congrats to me, I suppose. But um, <laughs> at the moment, I'm I'm solely focused on the draft. I have no time to to think about engagement and wedding plans. It, congrats it's, it's, to you. It's fully and, and, invested and... in the draft at the moment. So, um, but I uh, look. Thanks for thanks for joining me for for our listeners. 
Definitely follow Mort online at Twitter at MSJNBA and definitely listen into the NBA pod as well and Morton's NBA-based podcast as obviously the podcast is aptly named. So uh, Mort, thanks again, mate, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. We will. Thank you for having me, Mark. And to you, Bulls fans, thanks for listening in. I appreciate that very much. I hope you enjoyed this one. We touched on a lot of names. You definitely need to concern yourself with a lot of names there for pick 22. And given that we're a month out, it makes sense to be talking about 10 to 15 guys at this point. But uh, like I said, I appreciate you guys hanging in there and listening to the 80 minutes of this pod. Hopefully it was informative. And I'll be coming back to you guys maybe in two or so weeks to sort of wrap up as to what I think the Bulls should be doing with maybe pick seven as well as 22. And by that stage, we'll be maybe two two weeks out from the draft. So hopefully we'll learn some more information as to where the Bulls will be leaning with pick seven as well as pick 22. But be on the lookout for the new pod. It'll be in your feeds as usual. And, and as usual, I'll be uh, populating that on Twitter and letting you guys know when it's available. But uh, like I said before, thank you for listening and I'll catch you all again next time. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.